Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a book, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. With a fresh new song MJ Network will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the air Good morning everyone, this is Fran Lewis This is MJ Network MJ in memory of my sister Marsha Joyce And if Marsha was here, she would be flipping out The big news is so excited they won the soccer champion for the league, Powell Soccer League. You rocked on Saturday. You won in double overtime, 2-1. to one. The Madrid team is the name of them, the winning goalie, my nephew Cade, who's fantastic. And the winning goals, Kyle, fantastic goalie, put in two. Two goals to win the game. I am so proud. Miguel Cleed caught twice, and the goalie coach, Jason, and Coach Steve, this team rocks, and Cade made the all-star team. So congratulations to my nephew, his teammates. I am so proud. And now, one of the best books I've read in 2002, 22, and 23, for those of you that haven't read it, Derek McFadden is here with a phenomenal story about one of my favorite things, Santa Claus. A holiday story about the search for love and acceptance. Love must begin within, but no one is better equipped to show you how than McFadden Santa. And it was written by Bradley Harper, the author of A Knife in the Fog. Good morning, and how are you? Welcome to MJ Network. Good morning, Fran. I am great, and it's great to hear about your nephew. That's amazing. Yes, it is. I am so Impressed. Let me tell you, I don't think that I don't think his team lost one game this whole season. I think they won because wow. him. Yeah, he's outrageous. But I, I was like so excited. So, tell us, how did you create the first team between you and Aubrey, and assess the stage for the events to come? And what made you decide on my favorite Santa Claus? How did I? Okay, very very simple. I was going through a breakup at the time, so okay. Aubrey is a stand-in. <laughs> Aubrey is a stand-in for the girlfriend that is no longer, essentially. Uh, and, um, and I had to work through that breakup, and that's, that's what gave me the setup. Um, the adult Davy, who is my main character, uh, is obviously going through some stuff uh, at the time because he's going through a breakup. Uh, and then you go back to when he's a child, and uh, you find out that there is a deal between him and, uh, and a Santa, and, you know, and if he can do two things, he can become Santa, perhaps. We'll see. Um, but those two things are, I mean, one of them involves him having a girl. And he thinks that this breakup means that's not going to happen. So he can't have his dream because he's lost out on the, uh, uh, he's lost out on the girl. Um, and we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll see if he's right. We'll see if uh, it turns out better for him. That that's interesting. But you know what? That's a better way to deal with a breakup rather than you know getting depressed and miserable. I thought so. 
I did the depressed and miserable part in the beginning. And then I thought, I should write yeah. my way out of this. We all go through that. It's not worth it. Yeah. My, my mom once said, to, my father once said to me, when something's over, it's over. You go, go backwards, you go forwards, and move ahead. And forget it, rather. It's true. That's true. And it, do. uh, it does work. So tell us about the significance of the title in Chapter 1. And as you started, tell us about Carrie, a little about Carrie and a little about Davy. Well, Chapter 1's title, uh, it, talks about, um, it talks about the sad suburban mall at which, mm-hmm. uh, at which he works, at which Davy works. Um, malls, you know, back in the 80s uh, were very, very big. And then now, not so much. Um, I think yeah. there are a lot of sad suburban malls out there. Um, and then Carrie is Davy. So Davy's a mall Santa. Carrie is his head elf. She is the one that, that runs all the elf situations and, and, and takes all the pictures for the little kids and their moms and all that. Um, and, and she kind of is trying to bring Davy out of his shell a bit. She can tell mm. something's wrong, but he won't, he won't explain it to her. Um, because, you know, he's a man, and sometimes we don't like to say all of our emotional mm-hmm. feelings at times. Um, and I think uh, so her, her job in this book is to sort of remind him that he is alive, even though things are not going great for him at the moment. He's still here, and he has a chance to affect the world uh, positively. Well, that's true. A lot of people just give up and just say they get depressed or they drink or they just hide with hide behind oh, themselves, yeah. and that's bad. You don't want to do that. If somebody doesn't no. want to be with you, it, I look at it this way. It's their loss, not yours. That's true. I'm learning. I learned. But <laughs> the next one, how does the – well, the breakup impacts everything. Tell us how it deals with cerebral palsy, and tell us about my favorite thing. I love story time. Ah, uh, so Davy, that's one of his things. Uh, he has cerebral palsy like I do. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I um, I wanted to write, you know, whenever I would read books when I was a kid, I would read them and they would be, if there was a handicapped character in there, the handicapped character just wouldn't feel right. He, 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 wouldn't, he wouldn't feel like a real character. He'd feel like mm-hmm. a stand-in for the author to teach something. Um, and I was like, I want to write the real, like a real handicapped character. And so mm-hmm. I always intend to do that when I write characters with my same palsy. And that's what Davy is there. But the thing is, he, uh, he has a younger brother in the, in the child scenes where he's a mm-hmm. child and he, he has, he's upset because he feels like with his palsy, he won't be able to be a real big mm. brother. He won't be able to do all the real big brother things. Um, and, and that's, that's hard. So um, one of the things he wishes for one Christmas is that um, Santa could take away his palsy. If he could just be normal, mm. then he could be a big brother, you know? Um, and then what was the second question? I'm, I'm sorry. The second that's part of that question. You know, you know, that's really amazing. What brought this story really close is that when I was in high school, I had a spinal surgery when I was 16, and I had mm-hmm. to go to health gym. 
really I, I couldn't play basketball. I was so aggravated. Oh. And the girl the girl that was in there with me had cerebral palsy. And we became okay. very close friends. And one day yeah. when she wasn't there, they didn't tell me why she wasn't there. I never really knew what happened. She just sort of disappeared. And she was, like, so cool. We became really, really close best friends. And it just we just what it about. Because it doesn't matter that she had a disability. She still talked. We were, we, you know, we became, she sort of bonded. Yeah. I felt sorry for me. She felt sorry for herself. And the two of us together. <laughs> So who is yeah. Lee, and how does he always come to Davy's aid, and why does he let Charlie get to him? There's always a kid that gets to somebody. Well, Luke is a stand-in for my best friend. He's been my best friend for 34 mm. years about, um, uh, and he he is that kid. He's the kid that uh, that stands up for the kids who can't really stand up for themselves. That's who he was then, and and he's just a really good guy. Um, and Charlie is the bully. You know, he's the bully mm-hmm. that bullies all the kids. Um, and 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 so Luke takes all the heat uh, uh, for Davy. Luke doesn't let Davy. You know, obviously Davy gets gets yelled at, gets gets called names mm. and everything. But as much as he can, Luke is there to uh, to be a buffer and to help. That's why I had my sister. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if anybody we all have those me. Yeah, I had my sister when she was around. So yeah. this is this is interesting. Explain his relationship with his parents and why he does he resent Brendan. And why he resents Brendan? Brendan, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, his relationship. So Davy's relationship with his parents is is uh, strained, I would say. Um, I think that when we're kids, we don't realize how hard parenting is. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't tell you how many times, uh, you know, things would be going kind of topsy-turvy in our house, and I would think, you know, if you didn't want all this dad or mom or whoever, why did you have kids? Flat out, you know. And it's, it's not that simple. You know, um, and that's what we have to realize as uh, as we get older. I think we do realize it. But as kids, all we can be is a little bit resentful of like, life isn't going exactly the way I want. What can I do about it? Well, I'm a kid. All I can really do is be resentful um, of the thing that's making it hard for my for my life to be good. And at that moment, that was his little brother, Brendan. Um, and so, yeah, his relationship with his parents, I think, is tied to his relationship with Brendan. And, and I think both are bad because at, at the moment, at the beginning, because mm. that's just how life works. I think that, you know, when you're the only child in a house for a long amount of time and then suddenly you're not anymore um, and you have special needs like palsy, uh, mm. it's very easy to feel like, they had another kid because I wasn't enough. I understand what that that's like. Now this is yep. really cool. I I you know what I my we celebrate Hanukkah, but my family we celebrate everything. Mm-hmm. Everybody's intermarried and everybody's everything. And Santa Claus is somebody that you have to love, no matter who you are. Doesn't matter. Yep. So why why did kids? Why did he write to Santa? 
And how did you create the letter? And kids write to Sandra. I know that. There's some kind of address. I even got a letter. Do you want to write to Sandra? You could send it to this address. I go, maybe I will. I think kids write to Santa because it's, it's somebody who's who's going to listen, and you don't have to know when they're listening or know when they're reading, mm. but you know they will. And um, and a lot of kids don't have that influence where you know you can call them up or you can you can talk to them or you mm. can text them. That that's not something that a lot of kids have. Um, at least not when I was around or not, not when I was a kid. I I know I having Santa no, there either. was a big deal. And um, why does Davy write the letter? Davy writes the letter because he wants to be free of his palsy, like I talked about. And mm-hmm. and that letter, that letter to me uh, was really—I I mean, I had to go deep to write it. It was, you know, I know this mm-hmm. is a—it's a—it's a really fun Christmas novel, but I had to go deep to write it because I had to go back and remember what it was like to be in that space. Be resentful of my little brother, who doesn't even know you're resentful of them, right? Because they're so young, they don't they don't know, and you don't know why you're resentful. So, I had to go back and put myself in that in that position in that in that headspace. I understand what you're saying, but you know what? It was really fun. I won't say who used to play my play me against my sister because my sister was very talented. She could sing, she could dance, she could do acrobats, and I could play the piano and the violin. But I was mm-hmm. clutch. <laughs> I couldn't do that. So it was always kind of, you know, after a while, I didn't care. So in the present, yeah. how does he deal with the children coming to see him at the mall and with Santa? And how does he, how does Carrie play an important role? I love the Lails. They're the coolest. Oh, well, that, that's, and I, and I just remembered, that's the thing you asked about story time. Because story yeah. time is really important at the mall. He, Carrie plays an important role in that she understands that having palsy and everything, he cannot just sit in one space for eight hours and be okay. So he, so what she creates for him, she, she creates story time and story time allows him to sort of move around and sort of interact with the kids in a fun way, but also just so that he can stay moving and so that his palsy doesn't tighten him up. Um, and, and the kids who he, uh, who he talks with, um, there's, um, he, the, uh, so there's a bully in the present and then there's, and then there's Celia who he, he connects with. Um, and those two, um, I think it's Ricky and Celia. Yeah, they are mm-hmm. very important to the story because Ricky is a mirror of Charlie, Charlie the bully, and Celia is a mirror of if he were ever going to have a child. Mm. He, I think he, I think he sees Celia as like, all right, this is as close as I may ever get to having a child, and I would like to impart some knowledge as much as I can. And she's listening to him. She's willing to listen. And, um, and I think that's one of the most important lessons is that, um, as a child, you know, children are willing to listen to us adults. So we have to be willing to listen to them back. Well, that, that's true. And the one thing I could never tolerate, well, even as an educator for a hundred years, never mind how many, 
never had kids make fun of each other, never had a child insult anybody for the way they looked, and God help them, they ever said anything bad about anybody. I never, in, in all the years I was there, nobody ever did that, ever, because they didn't want to find out what would happen if they did. <laughs> nobody. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, because I was overweight at one time. I'm 103 pounds of nothing, and one of the, you know, it was really funny. One of the kids said to me one day, um, I taught in a very tough school in the Bronx, and he said, you know, your black finally came out, because I came back from Puerto Rico, and I said, mm-hmm. you finally got it right. How do you like that? And he looked <laughs> at me, and he said, we don't know really what you are. I said, I'm a person, and you don't want to mess with this girl. Who cracked up laughing? He said, yeah. we didn't realize you were one of us. I said, everybody is one of everybody. I said, I guess uh-huh. I'm stuck with you. They cracked up laughing because you have, you have to have a sense of humor. Otherwise, you probably would have said, how could you say that to me? I thought it was funny. So in the past, how does Davy deal with seeing Santa with his brother? And why does he feel pushed aside? I felt really bad about that one. Well, I think he feels pushed aside because um, inadvertently he kind of is. Uh, yeah. His... His mother, like, Santa is really important to the young kids, and it's really important to the moms of the young kids. That's what I remember as a kid. Mm. Um, and as you get older, and it, beca- it becomes less cute to see you with Santa, and it's more cute to see someone younger who hasn't experienced it yet, who, who hasn't been there. Um, and so... Whether she means to or not, I think Davy's mom does kind of push him aside in that in that way, um, and Davy feels that. But at the same time, if he comes out and says, "Hey, you're pushing me aside," then it's going to look like, you know, he's going to get yelled at for that. He's going to, "No, I'm not. This, you know, it's not. That, that's not how it's happening." Because I don't think that the parents even realize they're doing it to the extent that they're doing mm. it. I know some parents feel, because I've dealt with that, like 100 years, you know, that, oh, my kid is the best, and if you're not as good as whatever, they push the other one aside. And I, I don't like that. Yeah. And I, yeah. by most of my classes, um, after teaching um, first grade, that was an experience. And whenever, I wound up teaching <laughs> classes with learning disabilities. But they didn't know it. Because mm-hmm. by the time I got done with them, I don't know what I did, but they were all on grade level. That's all that really mattered. It didn't matter. Good for you. So, yeah, it is. It's like, I don't know. They said I had a magic potion, and I don't know what that was. But, yeah, it worked. No, actually, in February of every year, I told my reading group, now is the time for the ceremony of greatness. And I took coffee grinds, and I spilled them all over the place, and I sprinkled stars. I said, now everybody is on grade level. They believe me. There you go. And it worked. <laughs> you have to have a sense of humor when you're teaching. You have to really love the kids. So how does what, this, my paper is falling down? Okay. Um, right. Luke always accepts in the present, how does Davey tell his story? And how do the children react? What does he tell about his disability in Chapter 11? And, what, and my favorite, the Beatles. How come you included uh, them? I love the Beatles. That's <laughs> really true. Okay. So he he does tell them a little bit about his about his disability. It's not um, he, he lets them know by standing up and essentially 
um, showing them that his right foot is on on kind of half backwards on his leg, uh, and kind of shows them that. Um, and and that's how he. But he try. But I think what he's doing when he's standing up doing that is saying I'm still a person, kind of like what you and I have been talking about. It doesn't matter that I'm palsied or that I have this. I'm still a person. Now the beetle thing that was that was mm. um, that was funny to me because um, my to my current to my current girlfriend <laughs> is mm. younger than me and uh, has told me that she has never heard a Beatles song, or if she has, she doesn't she wouldn't be able to, to pick it out. Um, oh and wow! So I I was like I have to put that into a book. I have to put that in somewhere, and. Um, so yeah, so he's Davy's really happy. He remembers the story that his dad told him, which is a story that my dad told me about. He was going to see the Beatles, and and uh, one of his friends had all the tickets, a group of tickets in his hand, and somebody else was running the other way as they were walking toward the venue mm-hmm. and snatched the tickets out of their hand. And so my dad and his friends didn't get to hear the Beatles inside. They had to listen to it on wonky speakers. And mm. my dad has told me that story so many times that I put it in a book. Um, and then I, you know, I liked the idea that after he tells that story, Celia doesn't even know who he's talking about. The Beatles are like an, like an icon. Like oh, yeah. an icon whenever. Yeah, I mean, really. So this is this was really cool. Why does Santa come to take him to the North Pole? I wish I could go to the North Pole. That would be so cool. And how did you create his workshop? That must have been that is creative. Thank you. Uh, Santa takes him to the North Pole, I think, because he feels bad that he cannot make that wish come true. Uh, there mm. are in, in my in my world build of this of this world, he cannot make all wishes come true. Uh, Santa is mm-hmm. kind of confined to the toys and the things we can make, bikes and whatever else. But um, kind of existential wishes he can't necessarily make happen. So, and it's bothering him. Santa hasn't, Santa didn't eat all his dinner uh, last night, essentially. And his wife, Mrs. Claus, says, you need to take that little boy and you need to bring him here and show him. And there is there is other reasons for that, but he he um, other story reasons. But he brings uh, Santa brings Davy and Brennan, both of them, to the North Pole. And I just I think yeah I think I knew that the most fun I was going to have was writing the North Pole scenes. And so mm-hmm. I could not wait to get to them. Those parts, that part to me was the best. I mean, of course, it's a, it's a story about two brothers. But in my mind, if I, I had to get the North Pole right for the story to work. So I'm glad you think you like, you know, I'm glad you like it because that means I got it right. You got, not only did you get it right, but I wanted to come too because I like the elves <laughs> and Mrs. Claus and she serves good stuff. Sounds yeah. good. Yeah, and the I mean, really, is, you is, could gain about twenty pounds just going to the North Pole in one day. Yeah, you could, and I think that's the that's the point. And I mean, I think you asked about the workshop. It's um, what I what I like about it is when you go into it originally, when you first mm-hmm. go in, it's like one of those little shops in every coastal town that's sort of a tourist trap that's going to sell you tchotchkes. Okay, but 
as they move through it, it gets bigger and there's more turns and it's, it's, it's labyrinthian. Um, and that's what I love about it is that it, it builds upon itself. And as I was writing it, I was kind of, I was realizing what was there because I didn't know when I first started writing it, what's, what, what's it going to look like? And I found out as, mm. I, as I wrote it. You know, the, the funny part is, is that everybody, he was disappointed because Santa told him, you know, about what about his wishes and what's going to happen. And I think yeah. everybody in the whole world, including myself, has a wish that you know is never going to come true. And sometimes yeah. you have to just learn, and it's hard, trust me, to deal with it. So how does his relationship with his brother become more defined? And this is really clever. How did you come up with the room with unwanted wishes? That's so sad. Ah, the, the room with ungranted wishes, yeah. Um, ungranted he, wishes, yeah. Yeah. He, um, so I just assumed, because, I mean, as a kid, I asked Santa for a lot of things. And if, there were, if they were toys that, that could be afforded, could be built at the, at the workshop, say, um, I usually got them. But if they were wishes, that was a little harder. Um, mm. uh, and so the ungranted wishes, that, that came pretty easily to me, and I, I figured there had to be a room where Santa would keep all of those wishes. Uh, as far as how um, his brother and him had a more defined relationship eventually, uh, mm. I think that happens over time. In, in, in yeah. general, uh, with siblings, um, you know, uh, as the older sibling, yeah, I'm four years older than my brother. And, and, four is, four, and, and when you're a little kid, four is a long time. Four, four is a lot of years. Um, and, but as, as I went um, and as I got older, um, so did my brother. And we found out that, you know, we have similar likes and, and, and similar appreciations. We both love movies. We are huge movie fans. We both love good writing. So uh, as, as we got older, we, we just appreciated each other more. And I think it's sort of what Santa said to him, uh, that it, it's okay to have more than one best friend. Because mm-hmm. Santa tells him, like, you're going to be better friends with, with Brendan when you, get, when you get older. And he's like, and he's like, he may even be one of your best friends, or he may even be your best friend. And and, and uh, Davy, uh, you know, at first he's like, well, I have a best friend. It's Luke. I don't need another best friend. And it's like you can have more than one best friend. And I think that sort of, when he hears that, that is the that is the catalyst for change. And then allowing it to happen over the years is I think how they get to a better relationship. I think also the the scene that I write when when they both admit that yes, we remember this trip. Um, that is that's a big scene. It happens at a mm. it happens at a funeral reception. Um, and I think when we lose people, it mm-hmm. better defines for us what life meant back when they were still alive. I understand that I lost my sister 12 years ago, and I still can't believe it, and I don't know why. She had a massive heart attack, and the monster she was married to never called 911 for 27 minutes. So there's a lot of question mark, yeah. And she was my biggest pain in the neck. (laughs) She used to call me every morning at 7, did you give mom her medicine? 
I said, no, you're the good one. You're supposed to come in and give it to her before you go to work. <laughs> and it was it was like a joke. I went, and the day, that day she called me, and she wanted to tell me something, but she wound up going to Zumba class, and I never found out what. So mm-hmm. it, it's amazing. Yeah, you lose your best friend, and you wind up. It's hard. And I, you can't replace yeah. your sister, no matter what. No. So how does how and why, if this is really cool, why does he become a mall Santa? And later on, why his last day? Why did he decide that that's enough? Uh, well, so he becomes a mall Santa sort of um, at Santa's behest. Um, uh, mm-hmm. And because he needs, he needs essentially training. If he's going to be, if he's going to become Santa, he needs training. Yeah. And so he, he becomes a mall Santa at Santa's behest. And then, why does he determine it's his last day? Because technically he, he knows when they're going to come and offer him this job. Mm. So, uh, I, I mean, on some level, he knows that. Um, so I think um, it's not hard for him to, when he, when, he, when he goes to his boss and says, I quit, this is my last day, that part's not hard. But when he does that, he isn't going through the breakup quite yet because he doesn't realize it's going to happen. Mm. Um, when, and so when the breakup happens, then that throws everything off because, yes, he did everything else, but he, he, hasn't come into the, he hasn't come into the last part of this with a Mrs. Claus. He doesn't have any idea where his Mrs. Claus is going to come from, and mm. then, uh, then we find out if there is one. Well, you can't have Santa without Mrs. Somebody or other. Yeah, now, this 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 me letters letter writing was a big deal. Why does yeah. his mother get upset about the letter to Santa? And I could his understand gets, that. Yeah, his mom gets upset about the letter to Santa uh, because his parents never saw it, and they and they never mm-hmm. saw it on purpose. Mm-hmm. He he knew if he sent it. To if he if he gave it to his grandma Joan, that mm-hmm. she would she she would just send it off, because because that's what grandmas do you know they yep, they want they us do. to have the best childhood possible so they do everything that they can for that and could he have shown it to his parents yes but then the story doesn't even happen because they would have immediately said don't ask for that that's the wrong thing to ask for. Um, no, I understand that. I understand yeah. that. Uh, and whenever I wrote a composition or a letter, my mother read it. She found. She always found it. I don't know why. She always found <laughs> everything. It made it, it made it kind of hard. And you know, you want to write a composition. I was an A student in, in English, and she would tell me, "Well, you know, you didn't do this, you do that." I said, "Well, you know what? You write it for me, and I'll tell the teacher you did a better job." After a while, <laughs> it gets, gets to you. Yep. Now, my favorite character besides Santa is Frosty. Uh-huh. I love oh. Frosty the Snowman. I loved I when I taught um, first grade, which was fun. Uh, I was also the music person, so my friend and I taught something called Sing. We got stuck with five classes, and the teachers could leave. They listened. We huh. didn't even have a problem. But we saw Frosty the Snowman. So what is Frosty? How come you included him? He, I love Frosty. Uh, I include. I I love the idea of of snow and snowman and all of that but my favorite part of frosty in 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 my incarnation is that if he unfreezes he becomes harold the raindrop 
And Harold yeah. the raindrop is a raindrop, doesn't have a mouth, can't say anything. So when he becomes frosty again, he is kind of a motor mouth, you know, inadvertently rude, not not on purpose at all. But I think he needs to relearn how to talk each time he becomes frosty again. So as much as possible, he tries not to melt. He lives on Snowman Circle, where it's always cold enough to snow, so that if 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 he's at home, he will always be frosty, and that was on purpose. Um, I I love Frosty because uh, I love his um, kind of just fun demeanor and that he's always up for anything. He's always up to to build a snowman. He's always up to hang out with the kids. I mean, I've always thought, you know, it would be fun to run with, with Frosty down the lane before he melts away, and so I wanted to include him in the story. I lived in the South Bronx, and there was no place to build a snowman anywhere. Oh, that's sad. It was sad. Yeah, it was nothing. And when I moved uh, to a different area, um, we wanted to build one in the playground, and the people that owned the building didn't appreciate our architecture. <laughs> and that was really, I mean, seriously, um, building a snowman is like a, a tradition. Everybody's got to do it once. So yeah. I do pictures, sort of. It's not the same. So no. what, uh, before I forget, on Wednesday, the author of The Greenleaf Murders will be here. On Thursday, I'm not sure, Operation Mama, she's coming. But I will be on Marsha Casper Cook's um, network right after with David Putnam, talking about whatever they want to talk about. On Monday, the King of Horror, Vincent Zandri. We're going to talk about the Moonlight series. And on the 8th, Jeffrey Wells, nevertheless. And on the 13th, this is an honor. Um, I taught for a long time, and this particular student created the Team Spartan Spades. It's for children teenagers, young children that are, need to get physically fit and have exercise, workout programs, and diet. And he's, Michael Taylor is my student, and he's in charge of this. He's the captain, and I'm interviewing him on March 13th at 10 a.m. because I'm so proud of him. I watched his videos, and he makes you proud to know that I did a great job. And he will, he will tell you himself that if not for me, he probably wouldn't have wound up where he is today. So I'll take the blame. So that, that 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 is that is my lineup for two weeks. So tell us why Santa and Davy talk about. Um, why did Santa want to meet Davy? And tell us more about his relationship with Aubrey and Carrie. Santa wants to meet Davy uh, because he was affected by the wish he can't. Um, um, because Santa was affected by the wish that he cannot uh, make happen. Um, mm. Because one of the things he says is um, the word miracle is thrown around too much, and miracles, there aren't a lot of Christmas miracles mm-hmm. either. And so that was one of the things I had to build into the world because, um, yeah, I mean, I could take away the palsy, but then what's the story, right? There's no story if I do that. If, if, if he's able to do that, there's no story. So the reason that he wants to, to talk to Davy is because he feels bad. It's one of the few times he can actually talk to a, you know, talk to a kid where he, he can say, look, this is what happened and I feel terrible about it, but we can do the next best thing. Um, and then Aubrey and Carrie are essentially, you know, they're parallel characters for, you know, 
but they're not parallel characters for the same reason that a lot of characters are parallel characters these days. Um, Aubrey is the one who Davy thought he'd be with for ever. I mean, they were engaged. Um, and, uh, and then, and then uh, Carrie is, Carrie is the, uh, she makes him feel good. She's the feel good part of his life, even if he doesn't realize it. Um, mm. they, they have lunch every day uh, that, that they're at the North Pole. They have lunch together. Um, he doesn't think much of it because I will say this, uh, us guys, Sometimes we do not read the signals well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think he reads the signals well. I think there are signals that she would be into him. But he, he is also, um, for a large part of this, he's with Aubrey, and it's not working, but he doesn't realize it's not working. Um, or he doesn't want to admit that it's not working. So even if, at certain points, uh, Carrie had come to him and said, let's go out on the date, he would have said no, because in his mind, he's with Aubrey. Um, so, and, and that goes into uh, timing, what it, what it takes to know uh, when the right time is to approach someone uh, mm. for a date or, or to see what will happen. Timing is everything. Sometimes you're ready for something, but someone, but someone else isn't, and you have to be okay with that. That is hard sometimes. And sometimes you wish something could happen and you realize in your mind it's not going to. You have to learn to right. accept accept, not accept it. That's hard too for kids even now. So yeah. why does he go to the tree lighting, which I went once at um, downtown when they did it at the, at the, at the Rockefeller Center and you freeze, mm-hmm. but it's worth it. So you go to the tree sure lighting, and how does Brendan react? And when does he realize his brother really cares about him? He Okay. Uh, so he, they go to the tree lighting, the North Pole tree lighting. I think at first when it is discussed about Brendan helping with the tree, what Davy assumes is that he's going to help with the tree inside the Claus home. That's just all, that's all that, that Davy assumes is that there's going to be a decorated tree inside the house when they get back. He doesn't realize that the tree lighting is actually a really important marker of Christmas. It, um, not only is it mm-hmm. tree lighting, but, but it, has, it has significance to the actual story as far as how Christmas works. Um, and, and how does he realize that? It, it's, it's really simple. He, he realizes that, that Brennan is accepting of him when that next Christmas, which is, mm. uh, which, which is, which is, well, it's actually the, yeah, it's, it's the next Christmas. He, he asks Santa. So Brennan takes his time with Santa and says, what I want for Christmas is for Davy to be normal with a mall Santa. Mm. And, and I think when Davy hears that, and when Davy realizes my little brother has taken his mall Santa time and asked for something that I want, that I want more than anything, and he wants it because he knows I want it. Um, and I, I will say my brother was very much like that. He mm. and, and is. 
um, my my brother is uh, my he's my younger brother, but in a lot of ways, you know, um, he he takes care of me when he can, um, and and he always makes sure that I have everything I need, even though you know we live in different states now. But he's always uh, asking me if I'm okay, and he's always checking in on me, and I think. Um, that's just one of those things that happens when, I mean, Fran, you understand this. When you have siblings, uh, you, you just you check on them. You make sure everything's okay. Um, and if it's not, you do everything you can to make it okay. I know. And when she died, she stuck me with her, with her kids and her grandkids. <laughs> and I'm stuck with all of them. No, I'm serious. <laughs> and you never know at <laughs> 7 o'clock in the morning who's, who's going to call. I know. My my niece is a nurse in Florida, and she does 12 hours. So she did 12 Sunday and 12 last night. So the first thing I do at 6.30 in the morning is, are you okay? Did you get your coffee? Is my girl okay? And she texts mm-hmm. me back that she had a good shift or whatever. And I, I, this is this is what goes on. They text me in the morning, and I go, okay, this is what you need to do. And, of course, there's a problem. They're going to call me. They don't care when. So she had no right to leave. <laughs> and I know. But yeah. family, family is important. But this this story really gets to you. And what I really like is on page two twenty three, what Sandra says, that cerebral palsy does not define who Davy is. It's the kind of person that he's in inside. And too many times, kids look at other children and they make fun of them because they're handicapped. So what? And it doesn't yeah. mean that you're not smart. It just means that maybe you're physically disabled, but not mentally disabled, and that's what gets me. So what do you want kids and adults to understand when they read this? And I have a child that's getting this one next. I could tell you that. Oh, thank you. I, I, what I, exactly what you sort of said there, um, you know, uh, a handicap is a handicap. It's, the fact of the matter is we all have handicaps. That's right. We don't always rec- we we don't always recognize them. It's what's hard, and I think why kids sort of sometimes make fun of people who are handicapped is they don't know how to deal with somebody who's different. Mm-hmm. And so I think the most important thing to teach a child, and it can happen, it can start really early, because all of my siblings are really good with people who are quote unquote different. What you can teach them is, you know, uh, th- uh, is that if it were, if there were, if 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 the situation was different, you could be in that situation too. You could be handicapped. It just literally, I mean, when I was born, uh, a doctor pulled me out with forceps. That is why I'm handicapped. You know, I I could have survived the. I could have survived the low birth weight. I could have survived the early birth uh, mm-hmm. without, without being handicapped. A doctor who was 70 years old and should never have been in the room pulled me out with forceps. I have the forceps scars. I can feel them. So that's what mm-hmm. made me handicapped. Not anything that I did, not anything that my parents did. And I think once kids realize that, that life is that fragile, that you're that close to handicap, and you don't have to, uh, you don't have to be mean. You can choose as a child. I am going to accept this person. I am going to see them for who they are, 
and that's what my brother does. That's what I'm, and that's what my best friend does. We, and you know, and that's why they are my two best friends in all the world because they are accepting and they're kind and they know that life is hard. I think once kids realize life is hard um, and that they're not in the bubble of life will always be easy because my parents got this. Um, once people realize life is hard, it is easier to relate to handicaps. I agree with you. I taught first grade. I taught sixth grade for three years. I loved it. My principal decided to put me on first grade. Till this day, I couldn't tell you why. Well, there was a teacher that came in that had more seniority than I did, and she taught the sixth grade class that I wanted, and then she died in October, which was really sad, oh. so I didn't feel bad. I left her room. I left her my lesson plans. I left her my bulletin board. I left her everything. And then the principal said, um, I would prefer if you stay on first grade. And I was sorry that he did that because the kids were brilliant, except I treated them like they were 25. But there was a little girl in the class who's my student, and she's on Facebook, and she's my one of my – I'm her family, and she has one arm. She she oh. has from – from her left elbow down, she doesn't have a hand. And you would never know it. And she's a teacher. And she followed in wow. my footsteps. And it was really – one day I walked in, and we were talking about subtraction, and she looked at me and said, can I borrow your hand? I didn't know what or cry. I said, you know what, Dawn, you can have my fingers. The kids, nobody may find nothing, but and she's smart. Yeah. So handicaps, you know, it depends on how you deal with it. So this this is, the, the how did you create the ending in the past to connect with the present? That um, that actually came pretty easily once I once I knew what the what the ending was going to be. Um, mm. I I wanted I wanted his past self uh, to be okay with everything, to feel like everything mm. was tied up, because um, I didn't want him to worry about is everything that that Santa says is going to happen in in my future going to happen. That's not how a kid thinks. A kid thinks, is everything okay now? Um, and so I wanted to make sure everything was okay now. And once it was okay in, in, the, in the past, then I had to make sure it would be okay in the future, and I had to find a way to do that. If there was a real Santa Claus, like in the story, I just thought of this. <laughs> I have my little race car pen in my hand. And mm-hmm. um, if there was a real Santa Claus, what would his message be to kids all year, not just on Christmas Day? What would his message be that he would want kids to remember, adults to remember all year? What would he want them to learn about people and getting along with people and just in general? What would he want them to know? It would be love each other. Not don't love each other just because if you love each other, I'll bring you presents. Just love mm-hmm. each other. Just be, just be present. Sometimes loving each other just means being present. Mm-hmm. I do know that. And sometimes it's hard when, you know, it's really, to this sound weird, when I go out in the morning, I, get, I like to have air before my shows about 7.30 in the morning. And yeah. yesterday morning, the clouds were pink and red. And when I looked up mm. at the sky and the clouds were pink and red, I knew my sister was there. I knew she was watching. Yeah. 
because for some reason the pink and red clouds sort of, she used to say she controlled the weather. And there was one day that was snowing, and I said, called her up, and I go, um, Marsha Joyce, in five minutes it stopped snowing. I thought the laugh will cry. It was hysterical. <laughs> but I just knew. You just know you could sort of feel when somebody is there. So yes. you don't want to ever give up on life. So, I mean, it's hard. How did how did Davey deal with bullies in school? I mean, and how did the teachers deal with it? Because I know now... I listen to kids talk in the street or I'll listen to my nephews or whatever. My nephew, Kate, is a good kid. He doesn't tolerate anything like that. He would never do that. But Mm -hmm. bullies are kids that are afraid to be who they are. So they figure they could pick on other kids. How do teachers deal with that? I mean, back then they wouldn't put up with it, but now they don't. Now there's very little discipline from what I see. Yeah, and I I would agree with you. Um, I mean, my girlfriend is a... uh, uh, she she works in the school system and she says, you know, it, it, there's not a lot of bullying anymore, but there's also not a lot of discipline. You you don't send you don't send kids down to the to the assistant principal. It doesn't work like that anymore. It definitely did when I was no. a kid. Um, but you know, uh, I think that bullies bully because they're at home getting bullied. That's right. Honestly, um, and they don't even realize it. Because for them, this is just upbringing. This is how I am raised. I am raised by someone who doesn't know how to do it. And the way that they do it is they bully me. Well, I don't like getting bullied. So I'm going to transfer my dislike of this onto someone else. I am better than this person, therefore I'm going to bully them. And, I mean, Mm -hmm. I think in a certain way, writing this book allowed me to understand bullies better. Um, you know, I didn't know, uh, when, when, uh, when Davey asks, you know, how come he bullies or, or, or when, when Davey, when you think he bullies, um, why do you think Charlie bullies? He, he, I didn't know what, what I was, what was going to be written there. I, that's one of those things where the character takes over and, and when it when it came out the way it did, he said he bullies because he's taught how to bully by his bully. Um, mm-hmm. When I when I when I wrote that, I was like, yeah, that's one hundred percent what it, what happens. That's how it works. You have to you have to in your mind. I know I was never bullied, but when I wrote my book, Sisters to Sixes from the Bronx. My brother-in-law, uh, Jeff's brother, realized that my mom was tough and abusive and, and bullied me. And I didn't even realize it when I wrote it, that she was, I had to be perfect and everything I did had to be right. And if I wasn't, oh, yeah. I got grounded. If I got 99 on a test, I got yelled at. And I had to, get, I had to write it over. I had to be 100 was the only grade that was acceptable. So in a sense, wow. she did that to me. Yeah, it was tough. And when I taught in school, um, a lot of times the teachers, when I grew up, which wasn't that long ago, even when I took my third master's and my fourth one, they said, if you don't know the answer, don't answer. Keep keep quiet. Don't ask questions. And for all Jeez. the years I taught, I said to my, to my class, if you don't understand something, and more than three of you don't understand it, it's my fault. I've got to figure out a better way to say it. And nobody ever went home not understanding. I said, and if there's a homework assignment that I gave all of you that you really don't understand, 
Don't do it. I'm going to give you something else. I never ever You can't wanted... learn without asking questions. You have to ask questions. You can't learn without that's asking right. questions. That's right. Well, that's why I just put on Facebook. I don't know how many people are going to, whatever. I, I want to, I'm doing a seminar on March, uh, on April 13th with my reading professor from college. The one that started mm-hmm. me off on this, yeah, I haven't seen Dr. Cavuto whenever, but he loves me. And we're going to talk about questioning and how teachers should ask questions and how children mm-hmm. should be taught to answer complicated questions. That's our next one on April 13th. But I want to do a show, a panel on questioning, on the types of questions that authors appreciate or don't appreciate when they are um, on an interview. So what's next for you? And are you going to write a sequel to this? And where can everyone learn more about you and your work? Uh, there's going to be a sequel. It's going to be a, a, a short story sequel. Um, oh, cool. It actually is. It actually is a. If you can, it's more, it's more of a prequel. Uh, it's from Carrie's point of view this time, um, and how she came up and became who she was. So it's the first time that I've written something that doesn't have a. Um, a, a character with palsy in it. It's the first time I've written mm-hmm. a female protagonist, which I'm really excited about. Um, and that will be coming out uh, sometime probably uh, next Christmas-ish. Um, my publisher, Papillon de Pere, is going to uh, publish that. And then uh, there will be an audio version of uh, Santa that's being recorded this year and will be put out um, will be put out around Christmas time. So we're basically going to do a soft relaunch of Santa at that point. Um, and I'm really excited because uh, I, I, I think, I mean, I, 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 I was so excited to write this and I'm, and I, and I've heard authors say that when they write the way that they do it, um, when they first sit down to write a draft, uh, they envision the book in a bookstore. Mm-hmm. Uh, as it's going to be, as it's finished product. And I did that for this. And uh, seven months later, I had a book. Now, where you can get to know more about me is, it's my name, it's Derek McFadden, editor.com. I'm an editor. I edit books. Uh, I edit short stories. I edit poetry. And um, I would love to help you edit your book. That is what I do. Um, and I'm I'm looking to maybe get into agenting at some point here. Uh, I I I've, I've been doing an internship uh, for about seven and a half years, and now I'm looking uh, to move into agenting as well. Well, I'm glad you just said that. Um, my book is called the new one is going to be called The Faces in the Mirror, and I mm. have a phenomenal. Um, I have a, a phenomenal, uh, what you would call it, editor, but he only edits like spelling and stuff like that. And I actually convinced Jonathan to um, do me a favor and do content. He really did a good job on this one. But if this is what you do, then I might it's ask I you do. to see if you could do it because I, I, wa- I don't know who I'm going to ask to publish it because it's horror. And it's right. hard. I have a self-publisher that's phenomenal, but I would love it to go somewhere else. I have to see. But thank For you sure. so much. And uh, and I hope when your new book comes out in Christmas we can do a, a whole big promo on my radio show. Oh dude, I will I'm all about that, friend. Just let me know and I'll I'll let you know when it comes out and and uh, and we'll do what we can do. And if you want me on that questioning panel, I'll be there. 
So, you know what? I'm going to uh, let you know when the date is. Yeah, and I want think I want to make it May 1st. So I'm going to definitely put you on there because yeah. I really feel that people don't know how to ask questions and they don't. um and I don't blindside people ever, but I've been interviewed no. on several shows and I got blindsided very recently and I'm very quick, so I'm I'm ready. So I will put you yeah. on that panel and I'll see who else. Yeah, sounds Thank great. Thank you so much. Everybody Thank you, have a great day and bye. Bye everybody. <laughs>